1: Welcome back to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Cathy Sheridan. Today in studio, we are delighted to have two women of very different generations. Sinead O'Shea, the film director, and with her, the remarkable Dr. Mary Randalls from Navan, County Meath. Navan is relevant to this story. We're all here because Sinead's latest work, Pray for Our Sinners, is due for general release this week, Friday the 21st, and Mary Randalls is... It's very engaging linchpin. I can tell you now that I kept putting off viewing this film. I was full of dread about it, partly because of that title, Pray For Our Sinners, but mostly because I just didn't think it was possible to be surprised or shocked, still less enlightened anymore by stories of a brutal, misogynistic Ireland from the 50s and 60s and 70s and further decades. The last thing I expected was a picture of a secret heroic resistance in a small country town. And to leave the film feeling shocked, yes, and profoundly moved, yes, but warmed and energised and full of hope, oddly enough. I began by asking Sinead what this film means to her personally. Well, this is my second
2: feature. Um, My first feature was a film called A Mother Brings Her Son to be Shot, which was literally what the title suggests. It was about a mother who had brought her teenager to be shot in the legs in Derry. And so, I mean, I suppose there's a little of me in that film because I I did spend a lot of that film being very confused about the circumstances of what had happened there. But, you know, by and large, you know, there's some distance involved in that process. Um, So this is a much more personal film and... You know, obviously I had to take a much more personal approach. I'm from Navin. I grew up there. My sisters still live there. One of my sisters is a teacher, actually, in the school that Norman attended, though that school is very different now. And um, my other sister is an occupational therapist in the hospital there. So, you know, we're very embedded, I guess, in the community. So um, it was a big challenge. You know, I I ended up saying this in the in America when we were doing festivals there. It kind of sounds really grandiose, but, you know, my background really, I spent a few years in London, you know, doing a lot of foreign affairs, journalism, a lot of travel, a lot of undercover. And so I don't mean to sound too bombastic about that, but it's funny because there there was an element of risk involved in all that work. But then actually this was probably more challenging by being so personal and by, you know... I suppose, just involving people that you've known all your life.
1: Hmm. Can you describe for for listeners, Sinead, what is the premise of the film, before we go any further? Yeah. Um,
2: well, the starting point is me going back to Navin. And I I um, I just finished, in real life, I just finished my first feature film and I toured around the place with that. And then I was talking to an old school friend, Sinead Burke, or Beguire she was then. And she was the mayor of Navan and she'd been working with her councillors to get a bench erected in memory of Paddy Randalls. And she said, you know, he was a great man. It's a really good story. I think you'd be really interested in the work he did about corporal punishment. So he just passed away, so I went met Mary. in
1: 2017.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so when I met Mary, It's probably 2018 and I actually filmed the unveiling of the bench as well. I just thought it'd be handy to have it. You never know, it might come in useful. And so I met Mary and we would talk about Paddy's work and we would talk about the corporal punishment issue. And it was a brilliant story, you know, as you see in the film, like it just escalates to this insane degree, you know, this you know, priests hijacking vans and throwing newspapers in rivers and NBC becomes involved. So it's it's an incredible story in journalistic terms. But yeah, it becomes an international news story. Yeah. It, is, it, is, it, it was, I, I have no memory of this, but you it know. was huge. It's really interesting, actually, how it was such a huge story and yet so few people know about it. You know, there's something in that. But, you know, I always thought it was a wonderful story, but I just wasn't sure a feature film has to be 80 minutes long. And without getting too technical, you need more than one element for a story. But I I loved the story so much, I thought I'd start. And then uh, the mother and baby home report came out in 2021. And then Mary very casually said to me, you know, when I think of all those women that we used to hide downstairs to keep them out of the mother and baby homes, I'm really so cross about this report. And so... It was very funny. I said to me, what are you talking about? And, and so,
1: so that that was how the film then became a feature. So you and Mary had been meeting on and for off three and chatting away <laughs> for three years, mainly about the great Paddy who deserved <laughs> every true. kudos that are awarded to him. But he is great. But, but suddenly, you realise, good Lord, There's
2: a whole lot Dr of course, Mary Randall's
1: is in herself
2: this <laughs> extraordinary person who's done so much for other people, especially women, especially when it came to Pregnancies outside of marriage and contraception, and she set up the first family planning clinic outside of Dublin. I mean, she was just an amazing person for all the women in Navan. Uh, but this would never have been mentioned, I believe,
1: if that Mother and Baby Home report hadn't come out. And we have this remarkable woman sitting in studio with yeah. us, Mary. You
3: you were not born in Navan, no, no. I'm a dub, born and bred, Kathy. But just first generation in Dublin, so that was kind of suspect as well, you know. (laughs) My father and mother were um, Louth, Monaghan, that area, Trohetta, Carkman Cross. And I was living in North Dublin, and it was an area which was really... A lot of um, immigrants into into Dublin at that stage. All my neighbours, looking back on it now, were immigrants in from Cork. I was Kerry. going to say, look, domestic immigrants. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> there no should be a name it. for them. Yeah. Yeah. Limerick, Cork, yeah. Kerry, hmm. Loudman, that sort of thing. So I was a bit of a hybrid, really. I mean, uh, you know, when you're growing up like that, you don't really think f- where you're from or... You don't have a label for yourself, even. Um, but that was that was my background. Yes, um, so you were a I mean, we, Really, at this we stage, we kept in close contact mm. with our country cousins always. Yes, and uh, your father,
1: Mary, became the Garda Commissioner. Mm. So you come from quite a remarkable family. You're pretty high achievers.
3: Yes, yes. I think my both my parents. They were, you know, they were gentle people, but I think they were very, very um, determined, and like there was no way that our um, education was going to be compromised in any way. Like we were going to get the best that whether they could afford it or not, um, they thought that was very important. And I have to say, like in those days, there was no such thing as feminism, need for feminism, I should say. You know, I, I had three brothers, no sister, and I always thought that was a, a deprivation, that I had no sister to be fighting with or swapping clothes with. You know. um, but I'm... There was, it's amazing, and I think this must be something in my parents, that there was no suggestion of me having any kind of a different upbringing or education to the boys. There was a steeliness there that I wasn't aware of growing up, but in retrospect, I can see. I think, as I say, there wasn't even the term feminism around at that stage, but my mother was definitely a feminist (laughs) by whatever name. So how did you meet Paddy? Uh, That was lover boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I found myself, after qualifying, I was... um, That's another story. My mother died just exactly one year before I qualified. So my domestic situation changed overnight. She was only 51 when she died, so I was left with a father and three brothers. And I knew... That I had to get my exam first time off because it would be worse if I didn't. So I had it. that was a very tough year. But so much so that the powers that be in... I've never spoken about this before now. <laughs> in Vincent's Hospital, they were appointing the interns. And I had spoken to a senior house officer in Vincent's and asked her, did she think there was any chance that I would be allowed to... Live at home and be on call instead. Everybody, you lived in a residency in those days, and somehow this got through. And I think she meant it in the best possible sense, trying to help me to live at home and do my internship in Vincent's. But the powers that be were having none of this. You tow the line according to their rules, and that was it. So when I qualified, then I found myself. With no assignment and no job. So um, that got sorted. I got um, pigeonholed down to... There was an internship available in Navan. And I I was appointed there. That was quite a lowly... Oh, absolutely. That was a come down. That was definitely a come down from being in the Great Vincennes, you know. And... um, so Paddy was already there for three or four years as a dispensary doctor. So that's a long story. That's how it was. Was it
1: love at first sight? Absolutely. Was it? Yeah.
3: Absolutely. He, he was a fair bit older than you marriage. He was fourteen years older.
1: So yeah. and he was there in the town, obviously the the, the apple of many a lady's absolutely. eye. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. you snapped yeah. him from under their noses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mary, you're front and central to this film. Uh, the person who binds all the participants, the person who s- s- struck the spark in Sinead, your story. When you finally came out with the with the <laughs> beds in the basement and how you you sheltered those women. What were those early conversations with Sinead like for you? Did you was it, Was this the first time you had talked about? those
3: years? Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Janice came and she, she um, realised that Paddy had died a short time beforehand. And I remember her phrase was, will you talk? And I'd had, I couldn't think of any reason for not talking. Because <laughs> nobody had asked you before. <laughs> exactly. <Yes. laughs> That's true, Cathy, <Gandhi>, yeah. <laughs> um... And I kind of, I really did sleepwalk into the whole thing. <laughs> and I looked at Sinead as an aspiring film director, a young person. You know, she'd already had, she'd already made the one, the first film, and I'd seen that and I loved it. And, um, and I, like if anybody, even to this day, and they're, you know, aspiring anything and they ask me, or if, and give them any kind of help. Why not? That's a pleasure, you know. So that was how we started. We really started just chatting, and it's turned it turned into this
1: this <laughs> th- this what we're talking about now, Mary, and with the Navan premiere coming up. There, there is a there, there is a there is an area of great cultural sensitivity about this in this small town, and it's it it remains to this day. So when you began to talk to Sinead, and Sinead was saying, "Will you talk?" Meaning, will you talk on screen, which is a big <laughs> ask. Did you think, "Oh gosh, I, I, I'm going to upset a few apple cards no.
3: here"? You didn't think no. that. No, didn't think of that at all, Kathy. Didn't dawn on me. Mm. As I say, I really, I d- really did sleepwalk into the thing. Okay. And I think, had it dawned on me, I think I'd have said, ah, that's all behind us now. Times have changed, you know, we're two generations on now. And I, I think it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have bothered me.
1: So two generations on, Mary, just cast your mind back. Because in the film, Sinead puts up a graphics and there's a bit of, it comes across very clearly. There was a family, of, one family of 25 children uh, families of twelve actually were yeah, half. I mean, normal. that was in
2: my time. Yes, in, in, the in your eighties and nineties, exactly. yeah, really big yeah. families. I mean, yeah.
1: Nine and ten people attended mass back then. What yeah. do you remember about those years, uh, Mary?
3: Yeah, that was a, that was the biggest culture shock I think coming from Dublin to a small town was the large families. I mean, they were twelve, fourteen, sixteen children. Now I was brought up in North Dublin. And we were the biggest family around, and we were four.
1: Yeah.
3: There was another four, but the others were one and two. Hmm. And I just couldn't figure this out, and I've never figured it out, actually. (laughs) And I wish my parents and all the generation were alive. Like, were they using contraception at that stage? I think they must have been. Yes, they must have been. Yeah.
1: What, I mean, what struck me, and it comes across in the film, uh, are, are the, these huge families in these tiny, tiny houses, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and what that must have been like, Mary. For you to, I mean, did you, you you were practicing as a doctor there for, or did you stop practicing after you got married?
3: I, I was in and out of it, Cathy, because I you had I was five no children, great Mary. example to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I had five five children. Paddy was Paddy was thirty nine when we got married, and he was self conscious about that, and he wanted to have his family. and yeah. but there was there was nothing to discuss. That was but after five, like there was nothing to discuss after that. Like right. that, that was that was That's the end. So I was very busy in those first years um, between. But I, but I but I did keep my hand in all the time, mm. like I would do a clinic now and again for him or I would do a house call that would come in for him I I, I I, was I knew I wasn't going to give it up I was going to end up practicing but not
1: yet OK so you met Patty in the hospital and you also met the other Supremo in Navantown who was Father Andy <laughs> Farrell <laughs> Yeah And did he make an immediate impression on you? Um.
3: No no, he was young, very active, very committed, very personable um very articulate, but he didn't he didn't put in or out on me Cathy, really one way or
1: another. so you didn't think this man has enormous power to begin with you you didn't form any impression about no. about his activities or for good or ill no. Okay, because he's compared in the film to John F. Kennedy, I think at one point. So, if he didn't make an impression on you, he certainly no. made other women's hearts beat faster. Oh, according absolutely. to one of the one yeah. of the films, participants. Yeah, well, I
3: had my own heartbeat at that stage, so. you weren't interested. <laughs>
0: plushcare.com slash Another
1: thing that really jumped out at me was uh, where you described Paddy's epiphany when he went to England as a young doctor mm. um, and how he suddenly realised the difference between the, the children, children of Ireland and the children of
3: England, just to, because this was really key mm. to yeah. his his development. Yeah, that, that was key to his development. Um, he had been brought up in the atmosphere that you know he's talking about and children very definitely were to be seen and not heard. That was the attitude. I and then mean, he had children... <coughs> coming in and telling them, uh, Doctor, I have a pain in my arm, and it's my right arm, and when I want to lift my arm, it hurts me at my shoulder, or whatever. And he would say that in the beginning, he he did not like these children. He he definitely thought they were very precocious children. And then he was there for uh, whatever length of time, I think it was three or four years in all, And he gradually came around and said, my God, these are normal children. (laughs) I'm not used to this. And he decided that he started to examine then the Irish attitudes and the attitudes to children particularly and the lack of encouragement and fear and all that sort of thing. And that that led on to the corporal punishment and it led him on to his own upbringing in a big way um he uh his education his national school education was tough and then he was moved to o'connell schools with the christian brothers so he had 5 years of absolute terror in in those 5 years he uh, he was he was a very sensitive person despite his um subsequent history, but he he would describe himself in the school just frozen, waiting and wondering where the next belt was going to come from. And he wasn't beaten much at all, but he described the beating that was going on all around him and the shouting and the terror and just sitting there cowering. And that was five years. And then when he met these children in England, he began to put those two scenes together. I said, my God, we're murdering our children. <laughs> and he came back from England and um, he was determined to expose this. Now, it wasn't... he. It wasn't in a negative way. It was it. It was the opposite. It was in the positive way. We need to start encouraging our children. There was a
1: tipping point, though, Mary, for Paddy when he was when a mother came to him, Norman's mother. Yes, Norman is a little boy in the, who we see actually most interestingly. We see very young footage of Norman when he was what nine, nine or ten. Nine. Yeah. It is one of the most the, one of the most compelling threads in, in, in the film and we actually see Norman then as a grown up and we see how he featured in all these reports about corporal punishment back then it's one of your great achievements Jeanette, to have mm. dug out some of those videos from those years from NBC and various international media organisations but Mary the, the, the tipping point for, for Paddy I think where he just said really something has to be done is when he when Norman's mother came to him asking for a note to hand to the Christian brother to say don't beat him on his broken yeah, arm. Please, yes, don't
3: beat him on the sore arm, and please, beat him on the. If you have to beat him, beat him on the on the um, on the good arm. So that that was a very seminal point, without a doubt. So. That evening, Paddy, uh, he he wouldn't do that, of course. He wasn't going to write a note asking the brother to beat anybody wherever, you know. So he made an appointment uh, that evening, six o'clock, down in the monastery to meet the brother in charge, who was Brother Damien. Now, that is young brother who was beating Norman was also Brother Damien, but that's inconsequential. Um, So he he made an appointment with the um, head brother, as he was called, Brother Damien. And he went in and it's hard to describe Paddy's gentleness like it. it was, it was oozing gentleness. And he said to the brother, I don't know if, oh yes, in the school, the weapon that was being used was a rubber hose. And there's some scientific reason that you can inflict more pain with a rubber hose than you can with a cane, apparently. I heard that from letter Letterfrack. <laughs> um, so, Valet gently said to the brother, Damien, I don't know, are you aware that one of your brothers is using a rubber hose to beat the children? And... The brother said, do you want to know what I use? And Patty said, yeah, it might be interesting. And he described, he was so graphic in the description of that interview, he described him tramping up a wooden stairway. And then there was kind of silence upstairs and then tramping down. And there was a table and he just spread this, leather in front of him on the table and it had metal inserts in it sewn into it and he said that's what I use studs studs in this in this weapon in this weapon of which he was proud and this was a national school not that it mattered what age it was but this was was, the little kids up to 12 (laughs) being beaten. So Paddy just said, well, you won't use it much longer. And he left. And then he started.
1: Paddy started. He tried getting this story into the Irish media. Hmm. Didn't work. Everybody backed off. Which is a sign of how extraordinary Paddy was. That he saw something that everybody else was too terrified to air. And then it eventually made its way, Sinead, onto...
2: The UK media, to the news of the world. Which wasn't ideal because it was an English no. newspaper. This was also obviously pre all the News of the World scandals but they published it in several parts, this report so the first part of the report was published and sold in Navan at the weekend and everyone read in horror about these school children from Navan talking about being beaten and being treated worse I think than animals on a pig farm, wasn't that the comparison being made? And Everyone in Avon was aghast. So, Sinead, what happened next? So, part one uh, went out. Everyone in Avon was horrified, very angry, and there was rising concerns about what was going to be in part two of the newspaper. And then, I mean, this—it just blew me away when I found out about it. The newspaper has never got to Navon the priests hijacked the newspaper van that was driving to Naven with the newspapers for that weekend and just threw the newspapers in the river. So no one got to hear what else happened <laughs> about corporal punishment. The rest of the
3: story.
2: And then, I mean, the story escalates like believe it or not, that's not actually the most surprising thing that no. happened in this whole story. Because we need this to film something is one the of film. the
1: reasons why I should not have approached it with dread, as I said earlier. There is a surprise really every two minutes. <laughs> but Mary, one of the things that really blew my mind was the personal backlash for you and your family. What happened to you?
3: We were definitely shunned um, in Navan. In I mean, we... We were told in no uncertain terms um, that Navan w- was Navan, and we were criticising um, the status quo in Navan. And half the practice left. Paddy lost half his patients. Paddy lost a huge chunk of his patients, and interestingly, they would have been the Navan is not a very well off place any more than any town in Ireland, um, but. The more comfortable people in Navan, and the more professional people would be the ones who left. The, the poor women living in two up, two down, with 14 or 16, 18 children, they stood by him um, faithfully. Like, uh, you know, But there was a huge drain on his practice, on the numbers of his practice. But he just didn't care. Okay well let's just stick with that. Your car tyres were slashed. Yes.
1: You had to send your children away to school because
3: Mm.
1: as you said yourself there was a fear of the unknown. You didn't quite know how they would be treated in the local schools. Mm -hmm. So this was very serious but you were not silenced and you say that you and Paddy were not personally fearful.
3: Not in any way. You kept going. Not in any way. Never fearful and never intimidated in any way. But I, th- I think, you see, I don't like to say the word "self-righteous," like. But we didn't have any doubt in our heart and soul that what we were saying was right. Yes. The children needed to be respected. They didn't need to be fearful. And yeah. <laughs> well, uh, obvious uh, things to, what, to, to everybody now. To let them flower. Like, yeah. uh, so the, we didn't have any conscience, whatever, about what we were doing. Sinead,
1: this is the point at which your chats with Mary began to sort of morph <laughs> into their <laughs> interventions with young women who'd become pregnant and enter... Father Andy Farrell. Yes. So I tell mean, us he was, a bit about that.
2: Yeah, so he was a little, well, I mean, it's it's hard to pinpoint his involvement in some aspects of this. As Mary delicately put it, there was nothing in the town he wouldn't have been supervising. So the hijacking of the newspaper van, we can only conclude that there was nothing in town that he wasn't supervising. But he probably had more direct participation than in the mother and baby homes cases that were coming up um and so there was one particular woman who's in our film Betty and she was a young woman and she found herself pregnant and so she went to Father Farrell for advice i suppose mm-hmm. uh, counsel and he said he knew what to do and so he drove her to Ross Cray, to Shanross Abbey which is a very notorious mother and baby home now, run by Sister Hildegard. It was the mother and baby home that was in Philomena, actually. And Betty had a pretty terrible time, really, by any standards. And just, you know, being woken up in the middle of the night, being forced to scrub floors, their names were all changed, they couldn't speak to each other, their post would be opened and read and, and continually told that they were bad people, they were awful sinners and... You know, it was very dehumanizing the whole experience. Um again, maybe without wishing to spoil the film entirely, she was very, very fortunate that she, she know was. that she knew Dr. Paddy and Dr. Mary Randall's
1: And also it says a lot about Dr. Paddy and Mary Randall's that they didn't just offer kind counsel to these women. They actually travelled long distances to check in on them. They did unbelievable
2: things. I mean, yeah. another there's, there were so many things that they did that there wasn't really the, the scope to fit into the film. It was going to kind of disrupt the structure too much. But for, like, for example, Paddy used to loan his car, didn't he? Every mm. Sunday to a man who wanted to visit his partner, who was in a mother and baby. i like, can you imagine a doctor loaning his car to somebody every Sunday? You know, They were just extraordinary, the the things they did and there was never any judgement. We have another person in the film, Etna, who was also very young and found herself pregnant and her baby was just taken away. She wasn't even in a mother and baby home. Her baby was just taken away from her and was missing and had actually already been adopted to another family and again,
1: Dr. Potty and Dr. Mary (laughs) intervened. This Uh, is what makes the film such a beacon of hope because in those two cases... I don't think I'm giving away anything. They end up... They end up okay again, but you are really watching
2: it with your kind of hands over your eyes because it, it seems grim. It seems very lost for a long and time. And if
1: Dr. Mary and Dr. Paddy had not been, as I say, checking in, keeping an eye, driving these women places, watching what was happening... Uh, it, it could have had a very, very different outcome.
2: Yeah, and like we barely mention in the film the whole contraception issue. which yeah. Mary was such a pioneer in as but well. But
1: Mary, you did provide beds in your house uh, for women who needed refuge while they were pregnant before they had the babies. Uh, what was that like back then? Were th- were they hiding in in your house? Oh yeah,
3: yeah. A lot. Of, interestingly, Kathy, several of them were hiding from their own families. Because they would have been outcast and shipped away, so the neighbors wouldn't know anything about it. Um, so there's, there's so many stories in, in that in that sort of scenario, and um, you see they were they were taken away to the mother and baby home, and in one case where where Buddy used to let his car to that chap. He couldn't find his girlfriend; he knew she was pregnant, and she disappeared. She was like the disappeared, and nobody, including our friend, would tell him where his is the so Paddy got on then of course, and started ringing around <laughs> we got to first thing we had to do is find the girl and we found her in castle Pollard and um they ended up actually getting married. Like. Isn't that an interesting outcome as
1: well? Because, you know, men are, are, are continually demonised, you know, for disappearing out of these stories. That's true. For getting women pregnant yes. and just sort of
3: mm.
1: flying off to England or whatever. But there's one, there's one That's example right. that we know of where yeah. the man did do his damn best yeah. to, yeah. to yeah. do yeah. right.
3: Yeah. yeah, and there was a second one. The second girl in our house, and um, we were still living in Watergate Street at that stage. And um, the the boyfriend used to come down regularly to visit her. And in the end, they got married, and she was about um, thirty eight weeks pregnant at that stage. And they they got married.
1: Mary, who who married who would who would
3: have um, performed the wedding ceremony in that. Second case I'm talking about there, um, Padre had two brothers priests, <laughs> 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 Handy. just to to complicate the picture.
1: And, um, and so he would have he would have have, have, have married the the, the, the
3: the second. Okay, yes,
1: All right, so I'm going off. I'm really, as I say, I could stay here till Sunday. But anyway, Sinead, now. Let's go back to Father Andy <laughs> Farrell, because he also becomes a really intriguing thread in this film. Mm. Um, so we've already described him, the looks of JFK, the, oh, yeah. the, the, the intellect of He's Einstein. He's wearing a red cape, apparently. Yeah, he, 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 did, he did, in fairness, he, he got the economy of the town moving yes, in many yes. ways. I mean, the credit Absolutely. union is a huge yeah. asset to any town, all that sort of thing. But Sinead, you put a lot of your investigative, journalistic power into into investigating him and finding, delving into the complexity of that man. Because it's very easy to say those priests were terrible. They were basic misogynists. They were all about con- the institution of the church. Tell us a little bit about him, again, without giving away too much, because it's a fascinating part of the story.
2: Yeah, I think he's an interesting character. I mean, I must say I made the assumption also, well, you know, he was not a nice person. Um, but I always felt he was very typical of priests. You know, I, I I feel rightly, of course, that there's a lot of focus in the culture on, you know, these horrific paedophile priest characters and absolutely what they did was so terrible. But actually, Father Farrell to me seemed like a very typical priest. He was somebody that everyone in Ireland could recognise, you know, someone who's sort of charismatic and quite controlling but then, you know, he had unequivocally been involved in the mother and baby home cases. And but I'd met a lot of his supporters from the town, and they all kept saying to me, You have to, you have to see his farewell speech to Navin. And they're like, that is going to really change your mind. He was a great man. And I I just I honestly felt this was very unlikely that anything in this tape was going to make me change my mind. But I have to say, without spoiling things, and really you can't really spoil it because you have to actually see that tape and see the speech. But I did understand what people were talking about when I saw that tape. And he was a very charismatic person and he was a very clever person and he did have great ideas and he did help the town. And I, I guess I felt ultimately that was the true experience of the Catholic Church for most people in Ireland. You know, just these men always men, who were kind of brilliant and also tricky and bad in some ways. But that is the typical Catholic experience.
1: Yes. So he's there in all his complexity and there is truth and fairness, I think, in how you report him. It's, it's I think it's a masterclass in journalism, Sinead, um, because you don't let him away with anything. <laughs> but we know really a lot about Father Andy Farrell and it really is very surprising that those 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 last uh, scenes with him and yeah. his farewell. And for anybody who wants to look at rural Ireland back then and the kind of people who populated those those farewells and, you know, who really didn't know what to do with themselves around those confusing revelations and the fact that he left town under a little bit of a cloud.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, there's differing stories, so I felt all I could do was provide those sort yes. of differing stories. Yeah. But... Um, I think the most compelling one was that I suppose that he wanted to innovate and he wanted to do other things and he had rivals within the diocese and they felt maybe he was getting too big for his boots. So he was moved to a smaller parish. But he has this, I mean, I love it, this kind of memoir, I suppose, that he's written and he writes so movingly, Mary's smiling at me. Maybe I'm a bit soft, but like he arrives in this new parish in RD, and he says he just wept. He just arrived, he just wept all night and he felt so bereft. He just missed Nav and he was pining for it. You know, he was totally committed to the parish. Sinead, if there's there's one...
1: Message now. Apart from the fact, I keep emphasising this is not one of those dreadful doomy <laughs> films where you're just hearing more about the same terrible stories. It really is very, very different, and as I say, surprises every few minutes. Um, and just if there's if there's something apart from that that you'd want like people to take out of this, <laughs> you're heading now as we speak. You haven't yet had the Navin premiere, and no. you're both still a bit nervous about this.
2: Hmm. I don't know. I just you never know. I I'd, I'd say at the start of the film, people would be like, "Oh God!" But I think by the end, I do think there there's such obvious love and respect for the town and for Catholicism. I have to say as well, I'd never be one to condemn Catholicism as religion or anyone of faith. Um, I guess I just yeah I'm just thinking of my sisters, like, you know, will it be uncomfortable for them? But I it probably won't. I Mary, Mm -hmm. I think it'll be fine. I think
1: people will Mm -hmm. be very nice. Now this film has gone on what you call a surprising journey. You really weren't expecting. Oh, you just you you made it because I know of your great
2: Mary, connection she, with Mary. I kept saying it will just be a little day. We'll just do it and then it'll be over. And now it's this kind of the never ending story. So I am sorry, Mary, about that. <laughs> but, but tell us, tell us what's happened to the film. Well. Um, So we finished it uh, it took a long time to finish it because it was very, very low budget. So basically no one would work in it um, and no one wanted to. Yeah, you do everything in it as far as I can see. A a little bit. Now we actually, we had a wonderful editor, Endo Dowd, who works as a videographer here in the Irish Times, um, but he had no time per Endo, had COVID and car crashes and had nowhere to live for a long time. So it it was very, very tricky, the logistics of this film. But We eventually finished it and I sent it off to the Toronto Film Festival, which In retrospect, was quite an audacious thing to do because it's a very big film festival. Um, But they accepted they loved it and um, it was their first film they selected, actually. So we screened that there in September and it's had, oh, by the obscure standards of documentary, it's had a very respectable festival run. You know, it's won an award in the US and now it's opening here in 16 cinemas, which is... A lot for a small documentary. Now, admittedly, it'll probably close in these 16 <laughs> cinemas in one week's time. But it is nationwide, which is a big surprise.
1: It will be going on general release on the 21st, which, the 21st, is, which is Friday. Yes,
2: with Breakout, He did on Colleen Keane.
1: Yeah. Mary, you were at the Irish premiere. Um, what was it like to see you and Paddy on the big screen. Horrific. Hick.
3: Was it? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to see of yourself in your, in your 80s and so <laughs> you're on the silver screen, you don't want to go there, Kathy. <laughs> well, I thought it was great because we get to see several different
1: hairstyles on you. <laughs> well, you see, it was COVID. So time. It, was, you
3: co- it that. was COVID time. It I never once <laughs> had my hair done. I never once said, what did I wear? No, I, I'm glad to notice the difference because one was worse than the other, Cathy. But were, as a
1: woman of a certain age, Mary, d- I know d- every d- other d- woman's d- hair. Really, <laughs>
3: good, really dreadful. If, if I could make a point there, Cathy, if there's a problem in Navin, if there is a, an unfavourable reaction in Navin, uh, I will do my very best to get across the point that... It, the film was not made in any way as a reflection on Navin. It was about Ireland. It was about raising the status of Ireland, about getting the people of Ireland up off their knees. It, that's what it was all about. And encouraging our, our children, not, not, not specifically Navin at all. We just happened to be living in Navin. If Paddy was in Ballybunyan he would have been doing exactly the same thing. It would have been lucky old Bally Bunyan. <laughs> Look, Sinead
1: O'Shea and Dr. Mary Randalls, it's been such a pleasure to have you in and to have covered all those years um, <laughs> in, 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 such a, in such a surprising, interesting way. It's not often we get that particular view of something. Thank you. And that's it for today. Thanks to Sinead O'Shea and Dr. Mary Randalls for coming into the Irish Times studio with a powerful reminder that while they may not be obvious to us, there are brave and decent people always walking among us. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Spotify, Acast, and all good podcast apps. If you want to get in touch, we are on Twitter and Facebook at Podcast, or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The women's podcast is produced by Roisin Ingle, Aideen Finnegan and Suzanne Brennan with J.J. Vernon on sound. I'm Cathy Sheridan and until next time, thanks for listening.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince.